Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. loves you so much. Um, this morning, I'm, re- I'm really excited to, uh, well, there's probably a number of reasons I'm excited. Uh, originally, we, we hoped to have a guest speaker coming to be here with us this morning from overseas. That option kind of fell through and I thought, that's okay. I know what, I feel like there's a whole heap of stuff going on in me I, I'm keen to share. And as the week went on, I sort of thought, actually, Andrew, I think you're trying to push it too far there. And uh, I thought, you know what? There was a session from conference that I thought it would be great to share with you this morning. <laughs> And uh, Pastor Bill Vasilakis, who some of you, many of you might have uh, heard speak before, uh, either he was here for our state conference, um, but uh, we have ha- also have played a few of his messages over the last few years. Um, shared a message the first night of conference, um, and you know, when people ask me, uh, you know, they say, what type of Christian are you? And I go, I'm a Christian Christian, and they're like, you, you, I know what they're trying to get at, and it's like... I'm a Christian Christian. I'm not a CRC Christian. I'm not a this or a that Christian. And uh, But I remember the very first time I went to a CRC conference, and actually it was 21 years ago, uh, just this year, and uh, the first time I went and I heard Pastor Bill share, and the love of Jesus and the passion for the gospel and the passion for Christ to be glorified in his church just oozed out of him. And as I've got to know Pastor Bill over the years and uh, gone to Adelaide and spent time with him and uh, got yeah just got to know him more uh, I just see that more and more and when he came for the state conference I picked him up from the airport and we drove back and uh, I can't remember his age and I won't give it away anyway but uh, I just driving back from the airport and he's just talking about how as he's getting older he's the, the passion for the church and the gospel is like he's not wanting to take a step back he's just feeling more and more excited about sharing the love of Jesus with people and uh so I want to share this session with you today from Pastor Bill, who's the, the National Chairman of the CRC. Um, he's actually, I'll, I'll let him share what he's doing today, but um, I really pray that you can hear uh, his heart and be encouraged for, for us as a church to be encouraged, uh, not just us as a church here at CFC, but us as the church, for God's calling for us to be His hands and feet wherever we go for His glory. Um, so I'll hand it over to Pastor Bill. Let's engage. Let's give him a hand as he comes this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's uh, a great joy to have you here and for us to be meeting together as uh, pastors and leaders from across Australia and from some parts of the world. So I welcome those overseas delegates who are here and many of you who are going to be online. It's um, my privilege to share the opening message entitled, Loving My Neighbour. Who are my neighbours and why should I love them? I mean, I love reading and reflecting on the Old Testament, all 39 books, but it has a lot of pages. Um, It's pretty thick, full of history, people stories, poetry, prose, prophecies, Wouldn't it be helpful to have a concise statement, just maybe two or three sentences, 
that gives us the key to all these 39 books. Because when I started reading it as a young guy, I was a little bit confused. And uh, being brought up uh, by a Greek and uh, mum and dad, and mum would tell me the Bible stories, but she'd also talk about, you know, she'd talk about David and Goliath, she'd talk about, and then she'd talk about Hercules and, and Jason. And, and so when I, when I started reading the Old Testament, I'm thinking, well, where's the bit on Hercules? So it just shows you how much I knew. Um, and so it's a big, it's 39 books. It's long and it can be confusing. So wouldn't it be great if we had a concise statement that gives us the essence of the whole Old Testament? Well, the author of the scriptures, he has done this and he has given us a most brilliant summary. Let's read it. One of them, an expert of the law, or in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We spent the whole of last year's conference on the first half of the great commandment. And the second is like it. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then we finish there, but a most profound little statement he adds is, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's saying, do you want to know what Genesis 1 through the end of Malachi is all about? This is it. It's about connecting with God vertically in a worship-loving relationship with him, and then it shows itself in your transforming all your social interactions that you will do as much good to your fellow man when you're connected the right way with God. So worshipping God with all our hearts and being connected with him cannot be divorced. Jesus said it's, the second is like it. It's not the same, but the social dimension. So first we have the vertical, the Godward dimension. And then with the second, the horizontal people-ward dimension. And Jesus gave the order, folks, and it's so important to follow the order. If we reverse the order, think about this. You put the second commandment first. We will stray into a social humanitarian ministry focus that gradually minimizes the gospel of free grace and the limitless power of the Holy Spirit. Church history and the present state of some denominations are poignant examples of a crossless Christianity that is devoid of supernatural changing power. And it breaks one's heart when you see church astray from true north, the true north that Jesus has established for all his followers for all of time until he returns. If we adhere to the order, you will never run out of divine love for people as well as the supernatural power to be able to help them. God's saving process is, it's all of grace. It's by grace we are saved. It's, it's all of God, actually, our salvation. He initiated it. He brought us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace. Our response to God's working is faith. We trust him in what he's done. And then what happens is good works flow or godly fruit. So it's by grace, 
through faith for good works. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He's crystal clear when he says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we talk about loving people, we're talking about good works. We're talking about good fruit. We're talking about social interaction and engagement with people. Paul is very clear. Get the focus. Adhere to the order. It's grace, grace, grace. That's where power comes from. And, and, and our faith we receive. It's not our faith that saves us. Our faith is the vehicle by which we apprehend and take hold of the benefits of what Jesus has done through his life, death and resurrection. And out of that comes godly fruit. Now, if we ignore the second half, we don't want to reverse the order. We've got to adhere to the order. But if we ignore the second half, which is the focus of our conference, or fail to live by it, pastors and leaders, churches, we will stray into a heartless religious legalism that is totally self-oriented. By saying we're only interested in loving God, And if we show little concern, scant regard for people, we will become self-absorbed, self-righteous, religious bigots. Church history is full of it. And that's why it doesn't worry me when God closes churches down and denominations down that have actually become a caricature of what the true church of Jesus Christ should be. And when that happens, evangelism by our words and by our deeds gradually ceases or gets minimised. Jesus challenged for us today. I've been reading, uh, I love Dr. Timothy Keller. Tim Keller, Presbyterian minister, founded Redeemer Church in in New York. Brilliant man, actually battling a life-threatening illness with pancreatic cancer right now. Uh, Tim's in his early 70s, but he's probably one of the foremost thinkers Uh, Christian thinkers of the age. Even the New York Times said he's the C.S. Lewis of today. Anything that that Tim Keller writes is brilliant. And uh, in our last national exec meeting minutes, you will see that we've referenced five articles by Dr. Tim Keller. We actually looked at them as a national exec. And uh, when we have our 400 plus gathering of of lead pastors, we're going to do that again because he shares a profound analysis of the past, a fresh perspective of the present, and a powerful prescription for the future. And you can download the stuff, it's for free. We got it up there? I'm waiting. There it is. Say, decline and renewal articles. You can download the material, and I recommend you read it probably six times. The first time you go, ooh, that's a bit deep. The second time, some revelation will come. By the sixth time, I think you'll get it. And there's some practical applications for us. Hey, today, in this post-Christian cultural environment in Australia and the Western world, not in Africa, not in Asia, not in Latin America, the Church of Jesus Christ is going gangbusters. On Saturday morning, I flew out to South Korea for the Triennial World Pentecostal Conference. I've been going every three years since coming into the national leadership role. I only missed, I think, one, uh, 2019, Calgary, Canada, when I was crook. But uh, it represents hundreds of millions of Pentecostals. About maybe, say, three to 5,000 
leaders will be there. And um, I'm representing the CRC. So you meet a whole pile of people. When I was in Stockholm, the land of the Vikings, and I'm um, meeting people, this African pastor, I just said hello, and he said hello, and, and he, he inquired about me and, and what I'm doing and, you know, your movement, how it's doing, and I shared a bit, you know, thinking we're doing pretty good, you know. And then I said, and, and, and how are you? He goes, you know, where are you from? He goes, Ethiopia. He goes, do you belong to a, to a movement? He goes, yes. I said, how many people in your movement? He goes, oh, three million. <laughs> yeah. So there's a movement of three million Pentecostals we've never heard of. He's not on the, the, the speaking circuit across the world, where so many are, who haven't earned their spurs, but they're good communicators. But, you know, it's like they say the same message every time they go. Here's a guy I'd love to hear him. He leads a movement of three million people. So that's where I met Dag Heward Mills in Kuala Lumpur, Bishop Dag Heward Mills. And uh, uh, I'm listening to the, the, uh, the conference and some of the American speakers left me cold, um, kind of bragging a bit and going, oh man, you know, a lot of money to come here. Is there, is there a word that I can get from somebody? And up comes this medical doctor. And he gives this message on the cross of Jesus Christ that blew me away. Straight down the line, no mucking around. <laughs> and I said, I've got to meet this guy. So I went up to him and I said, Dang. I said, that was brilliant. I said, thank you for rescuing this conference by giving us a word. Anyway, we developed a friendship and uh, I'm on his uh, Healing Jesus campaign board. He our, our, was our speaker here over a decade ago. And, uh, but, you know, the third world... Is, is going gangbusters. Revival is, is spreading like you've got to believe right across the world, including in China, where there's this atheistic, dictatorial monolith of the Chinese Communist Party. They say, officially, there's about 65, 70 million Christians. Unofficially, it's about 120 to 30 million. And they're saying the growth is so rapid that by 2050, there could be 350 million born-again, spirit-filled Christians in China. Hey, that's the largest, that'll be the largest Christian country in the world. So God's on the move. So don't take on board what our present media in the West is doing in decrying Christianity and being anti-Christ and attacking the church and, and all that stuff. However, the reality is, this is our environment. It's hostile. There's a rising hostility to, towards Jesus and his church. And, and it poses an enormous challenge for us. And I'm convinced, pastors, leaders, delegates, that we individually must genuinely engage with the people closest to us afresh, and collectively, the local church we belong to needs to build meaningful relationships with its immediate community. People just don't come to church now because you've got a nice building or because it's the right thing to do. They will come to church when they understand that that community is in, so that church, that group of Christian people is investing in their community in a big way, individually. There's no way that somebody will come to church just by you asking them because you work with them. I had a guy in the church here many years ago, a businessman, and he, and he you know, we keep saying, you know, Easter, Christmas, you know, bring along some people. And, and he came to me and says, oh, Pastor Billy goes, I've just figured out why nobody accepts my invitation. He's the boss. He's got about 50 staff. Not one of them came. And I said, and I said why? He goes, 
because I never talk to them or have coffee with them throughout the year. Because I don't know them, they don't know me. And, 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 and I thought, I said, good on you. I said, I think that's what you need to do. Go in the staff room, talk with them, share with them, build relationship with them. And if, they, if you're kind and if you're loving and if you're trustworthy, then usually, unless you're a nut and, and, and kind of not a very good witness, most people will be polite and say, oh, you have consider coming. In fact, surveys say a lot of people don't come to church because they've never been asked or they've been asked by the wrong person. So it's so important for us today to realise that our people, we've got to fire up our people. We're doing a series right now. We've just done a series called Church on the Move. We're finishing it on Sunday. We're starting a new one called Still Salt. We're using Rebecca Pippett's book. Uh, she's done a new one, and she did one in the Servanies, Out of the Salt Shaker, some of you may remember. She's doing a new one. We're going to fire up our people about how to build friendship links with their non-Christian family and friends. And it's not just to invite them to church. Take an interest in them. Be kind towards them. Do good to them. Take an interest in their life. Love them. And when there's a trusting, loving relationship, we've got to give our people the courage and then the wherewithal to say, to actually give the invitations to come to to a meeting. Hey, community-wise, collectively, our churches, we've got to build meaningful relationships with our immediate community. We we hire this place out. And uh, the other night, there were a thousand kids here. I mean, there was a nice old racket. And uh, upstairs, downstairs, and and um, and and the principal, you know, she's on roller skates, and she's she's really hip, younger looking, you know, principal. And and she said to me, "Oh, we love this place. We love this place." She, she said, "We love it. It's a home away from home." So we've opened up our facilities. And we know it gets half wrecked, but we try and police it as much as we can. And, uh, but over 30,000 people use this facility, schools and other community groups. That's just one way that we are connecting. And interestingly, we're able to make about $70,000, $80,000 profit. We don't do it for the money, but it's nice and it's handy. Because if they had to go to the festival theatre, they'd be paying 10 times the amount that we, that we charge them here because we do it as a ministry and as a community service. That's just one way. There's lots of ways that you can connect. I know our, uh, one of our senior leadership team, strongly feeling, is going to connect with two or three schools, to, not just to be a chaplain, but somehow can we connect with the schools and be a help to the staff and to the families and, and to get involved in helping because there's so many social crises. That teachers are pulling their hair out. You know, principals are the number one, uh, number one leadership group that are having mental breakdowns and attempting suicide. Principles, wow, the levels of stress that they're under. Try and discipline a child, you've got parents that want to knock you out. You've got staff members that won't come under, you've got kids that are out of control. So, so our schools are in a mess. Churches, let's connect with our schools and be a loving support and not just so that we can witness to them. Let's witness by our lives and trust that building relationships, they will want to inquire and ask us, what is the hope that lies within you? And Peter says, do it sensitively and carefully. And so, so this is done by doing good works springing from genuine love. And this creates goodwill as people will like us and respect us for the kindness that we show towards them. And this opens people's hearts to the good 
news about Jesus' saving grace. You can take that caption. Good works creates goodwill that opens hearts to the good news. I think this is going to be the major way by which in this post-Christian world that's quite hostile that we've got to connect. Our churches find ways of connecting with your community. Inspire your people to get connected with their individual people. Some of their best friends should be outside the church. Not for them to be evangelised back into the world. God forbid. Break that friendship. But people that are respectful. Evangelism's the day of evangelism's not over. It's it's just beginning. And get hold of good materials like like Rebecca Pippet's book, Still Salt and others. Teach your people, train them how to build friendship links and connection, how to witness the gospel. If we link this with believing prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, people will want to hear our faith story and they will become Christians. We have no choice as Jesus people but to to allow the love of Jesus to melt our hearts. The reason why we have no choice in in relation to loving our neighbour is because our hearts have been melted. John says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow, what a statement. We love John 3.16, but I reckon this one's even more powerful. When we get a vision of his cross of death, it becomes the prism by which we can see and grasp the enormity of his love for us, a love that saves us, motivates us to represent him to a broken world where we're not playing church, we're not trying to be religious, but genuinely loving our neighbour, impacting them. Why? Because Jesus has impacted us and we know he is the answer. He is the hope for our world. He's the only one that can solve some of these intractable problems that we're facing personally and as a society and as a nation. This is how Jesus' kingdom of love advances across our world. In his prayer, he told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, the king has come. He's inaugurated his kingdom. It hasn't been consummated yet. It'll be consummated once he returns. But meanwhile, we are saved to serve. We are saved not to wait and say, oh, we're going to go to heaven and and, and we're going to escape and, and leave this terrible place. God forbid, that's not the New Testament gospel. The gospel is that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to renew the creation. We're new creations. He's changed us from the inside. And the only way we can renew this creation is by this gospel of love that advances throughout the world by his people being his body being his feet, his hands, his eyes, his heart, in every village, in every state, in every society of our world. The love of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit continually empowers us. Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of Jesus melts our hearts because we see the significance of the cross And if you think you've plumbed the depths of understanding the cross, you're sadly mistaken. I've been 51 years in the faith, and it still blows me away when I read the passages in Galatians and and Romans and Ephesians of the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ, that through it, Satan was defeated. Through it, sin was conquered. Through it, death is ultimately dethroned. Through it, Caesar is a pipsqueak. 
that Jesus is the king. Interesting, in the gospel, he's only mentioned once. Just the very first bit, Caesar Augustus. Who was the king of kings and the prince of peace and the patron? Romana and the gospel writers go, who is he? He's a pipsqueak. He's going to die and go. But Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the prince of peace. He's the only one that can transform our world and bring true peace and reconciliation between lost people and a holy God and then transform their lives so they will want to live in harmony and peace with their brothers and sisters and even with their enemies. We have a limitless love source to keep on loving people even when it's really hard. Some people are really hard to love. You've got to love them even when they're not likable. And particularly some who are undeserving, you think, man, they deserve a clip across the ear. And Jesus says, no, you've got to love them. doesn't mean you have to trust them. doesn't mean you have to have a deep and meaningful relationship with someone who's an abusive person. But it's illegal to hate them. It's illegal to resent them. It's illegal to want to punish them. It's illegal to, to, to be full of vengeance. Jesus took the sword of vengeance out of our hands. He says, now my kingdom's a kingdom of love. That's what's going to conquer the human heart. So the love of Jesus also through us compels us to love all people with non-judgmental eyes. The prodigal father, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God. Amazing book. Have a look at this, this prodigal father. So he got up, this is the son, he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Look at this. This kid is really bad. He is really naughty. I mean, he's just not a nice person. But somehow, and the father didn't know what had taken place in his heart, that he'd come to a place of deep remorse, contrition, repentance towards God. The father doesn't actually know that. But what's the father doing? He's hanging out. He's looking for his boy. He's looking for his lost boy to come back. And it says, but while he was still along, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. God doesn't wait for us to repent before he loves us. God doesn't wait to... for us to repent and to say now get your life in order then I'll save you while we were still sinners Christ died for us while we were in an ungodly state that he came and he made his appeal and says I love you so much I've died on a cross for you and when we see his love on a cross displayed it melts you and and you the, the love of Christ comes in us through the Holy Spirit And then it goes through us. And so here's this father filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Wow. In our European tradition, we kiss men. Always on the cheek. The Anglo tradition is just, man, I like the idea of men kissing each other. I think it's just a a, a wonderful thing of affection and love. I loved it when, when, when Rafa... And Federer were holding hands together, walking there. Wasn't that something nice? They just loved each other. Pure love. Nothing creepy about it. This dad, he rushes to him and he kisses him. Remember my dad used to, when he used to see me, he'd give me a kiss on the cheek here and a kiss on the cheek there. And a great big hug and then maybe a third kiss. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I just loved it. I just felt affirmed. Something about the kiss of a dad that affirms you. And if you're not a kissing kind of dad, 
Maybe that's the word, Dan, that they've got to get. Go, go and kiss your boys. Go and kiss your dad. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. What a picture. What a picture of God's non-judgmental love towards all people and even horrible people, even people that just do the wrong thing and are very abusive. Our Heavenly Father feels deeply for lost people, for sinful people, for hurting people, for troubled people. In my travels over um, this year, I mean, it's been good I've been able to travel interstate, and, um, but also throughout the years, it's been my privilege to visit so many regions within our CRC movement, both here in Australia and overseas. And as I've reflected on this message, I'm really thankful to God that we seem to be balanced in outworking both aspects of the Great Commandment. I don't see an imbalance. I think the loving God and loving people seems to be in balance across the movement. And I think that's a really healthy thing. Um, in recent months, I visited Darwin, Alice Springs, Hobart, and how beautiful it was to actually see godly and good pastors and leaders ministering to the homeless who live on the streets in Darwin. And uh, it's great to have Pastor John and his wife Sue Gunther here with us and their team from, from Darwin because they do an amazing, an amazing job there. But it, it, just reaching people who live on the streets, probably a couple of hundred people, that probably would regard the church as their home. They might come once a month, they might come, but it, 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 they're street people. And uh, beautiful indigenous men and women who somehow are lost and broken and troubled and addicted and rejected. And you know, you've got to go there to see it. Well, the desperately ill who have to seek life saving medical intervention hundreds of kilometres from their homes. And again, I commend Pastor Allen and Jill Steele and Pastor Malcolm. Heffern and what they do in Alice Springs, it's, it's just beautiful. I go to Hobart and I, I'm with Norm and he's going to share tonight on, by video. Prisoners who have no family support during their incarceration, you've got to believe the torment. Prison is like a, a physical hell. It's a representation of what hell's going to be like. No freedom, isolation. Your life is totally controlled. And I can... Um, I was privileged to also go to Tea Tree um, with Hannes and Danielle, and I heard a lot about it and, and that, but I'm going to actually show, they're going to share a little bit on, on Thursday night by video. But uh, there's a couple that have incarnated themselves in a, a remote area, 200 kilometres north of Alice Springs. It's just a, a depot for the government workers, and they've come there, and they minister to a group around 60, 70 kilometres around, up to a couple of thousand Indigenous people, and he's actually, it, it just blew me away. I'll get them to share tonight because I, I, I'm so proud of some, what some of our churches are doing. And, uh, uh, and I wish we could actually let you know exactly what's happening right across the board. But let me bring this to a conclusion and a challenge. Jesus powerfully illustrates the great commandment um, by giving us the most famous story 
in human history. This story uh, is quoted probably more than any other story, any other parable. It has helped shape people's thinking of what true humanity is and what it means to love your neighbour. And Dr Luke records it here, whereas Matthew doesn't record it. And um, it's the most influential parable in all history. Let's read it. Just the end of it. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus says, because they're trying to trick him. Like, same, similar story to Matthew 22. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him and says, go and do likewise. Pool. You wouldn't want Jesus pointing his finger at you and looking at you into your soul saying, go and do likewise. And that would be a life-altering experience. But you know, he's saying that to us here today. To love one's neighbour as yourself is really treating people as we want to be treated. It's the golden rule. So you say, well, you know, love my neighbour as myself. What does that mean? It means treating people the way that you want to be treated. It's helping others in need as we would like to be helped if we are in need. I've gained a whole new understanding of what it means to, to have a, a serious illness that could take your life away. And um, three seasons of, of hell... I look fantastic now, but you should have seen me back then. But it's given me an understanding. I've said to a lot of our people here who battle cancer and other stuff, I say, guys, hey, welcome to the club. We've joined a club we didn't choose. I said, but we understand, we know what you're going through. We understand the loneliness. We understand the fear. We understand the uncertainty. And, and I want to treat people who battle um, terminal illnesses or life-threatening diseases the way that I was treated, with just amazing respect and love and tenderness by family, friends, doctors. Amazing. That's the golden rule. He says here, hey, helping others in need as we would like to be helped when we are in need. The person commended by Jesus was not a religious leader, a priest, nor was he a lay associate, a scribe. He was a hated foreigner. Oh, how powerful that is. Hated foreigner. And then probably the, one of the most challenging statements Jesus ever made, and we don't preach a lot on this one because it scares the living daylights out of you. He tells us straight that when he returns and judgment day begins for all of us, he will distribute rewards and punishments on the basis of how we have loved our neighbours in need. It's not to do away with the first part of the great commandment. 
the spiritual salvation. But he's very strong. He says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Wow. Can we stand together? This conference, I just wanted to share a few thoughts. The opening session, not too long. Sooner house have a little a break. But, you know, it's been my prayer for you and for our leaders, delegates, and those who are online that the Lord will speak afresh to us and minister to us as we explore during this conference what it means to love nations and distinct people groups. Can you hear that from Phil Kaiser after the break? To love the poor. Can you hear that from some of our overseas delegates and others that are what they're doing? To create loving, soul-winning churches. Pastor Joe will share that tonight. To love my region. Oh, Trevor Murphy, is he a lover of the, of the Riverina? To love people with complex social issues those who are same-sex attracted and, and those who've got mental illness, to reach out to them, to love them, to help them, align with God, to be healed, to love my city. Dan Parker's going to blow you away with his love for Melbourne. To love my enemies, Pastor Barry Silverback. To love my location, where God has placed me. Jeff Hodgkinson and Bruce Sharman will be sharing. To love the youngest, kids, youth, young adults. So we have some of our younger leaders, Mark Betcher and Cass Tompich and, and um, Andrew Cox sharing. To develop loving visionary leaders, I'll be finishing the conference on Thursday night on that. We want visionary leaders but by golly they've got to be loving. I'm sick of hearing of great men and women of God who are full of vision and full of faith burning up and crashing because of moral, ethical needs in their lives they don't address. Just think God help us to understand what it means to love our neighbours and as ourselves, to treat people, other people the way we want to be treated. That changes your morality. That changes your ethical framework. I'm going to treat that woman, that girl, that man, that child the way that I want to be treated. Disarming us from potential abusive behaviours to develop loving visionary leaders. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for everyone that's here at this conference. Thank you for this opening session to open up the great commandment 
which tells us that it's all about a vertical relationship with you, being transformed by your love for us. Through what Jesus did on a cross so long ago, but he rose again and now he lives within us and empowers us through the Holy Spirit to be able to love like him, to be kind like him, to be good like him. We know these things, Lord, flow out of not us trying to gain a right standing with you, but because you've declared us saved, because you have given us a right standing with yourself and placed your Holy Spirit within us to empower our lives, that we can actually say we want to do it like Jesus, to be his body. And so, Lord, help us. Speak to us afresh, Lord, and minister to us during this conference. Help us to really leave this place after these couple of days together with a fresh appreciation of what it means to love our neighbour as ourselves, to love people. May it cause a transformative effect upon our lives and our leadership of our churches, how we guide our people and what we do as a church to touch our community. May seeds be sown here that will just cause a tremendous harvest in the coming days. But in this reactionary, post-Christian, culturally changing society that we're in, help us not to throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the answer? We know what the answer is, Lord. It's the great commandment. It's to love our neighbour as ourselves. It's to love you with all our hearts and give us ideas of how to reach people, how to love them better, how our churches can do it better in their communities. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.